Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Our last of the seven churches, even though this won't be the last sermon in the series, we have one more uh, in our Conqueror series. Um, but today I want you to turn to all the last of the seven churches, Revelation 3, Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22. We will be reading together from the CSB version of the Bible for our visitors. Right up on here, if you can. One, two, three, go. Amen. Amen. If I could tag this text today, I want to tag it conquering lukewarmness. How to conquer lukewarmness. Father, our Christian life is filled with different levels of intensity. Um, it shouldn't be, but it is. Whether we're, we have image, uh, young Christians or seasoned Christians, there may be differences in maturity, but there should never be differences in intensity because you've called us to walk as an intense community of people who live in a constant state of awe of you and, Lord God, in a constant state of expectation, uh, and we need to return to that. So, Lord God, shake the building today. Shake the souls of your people today and help us to get our spiritual life back. Help us to go back and get what we've relinquished so easily. Although we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, you've given us the commitment by those three items to be able to grab a hold of life itself. And so God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength, our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. Conquering 
lukewarmness. Um, the writer of the 20th century, Leonard Ravenhill, there's a book I like to read every now and then. It's kind of like a Tozer type thing where you just, you know, it's some books you return to, kind of like Carl Ellis, some of those things you return to that were landmark books in your spiritual life, those classics. And Leonard Ravenhill in his classic book, uh, Why Revival Tarries, quotes Harnack's definition of Christianity and then gives a brief commentary on it that helps us to really wrap our minds around why our lives should be constantly uh, intense when it comes to Jesus Christ. Um, Harnack defined Christianity as a very simple but very sublime thing to live in time and for eternity under the eye of God and by God's help. Let me say that again. A very simple thing Christianity is, but very sublime thing. He says to live in time and for eternity under the eye of God by the help of God. Then he, then, he, then he breaks down. He says, oh, that believers would become eternity conscious. He said, if we could live every moment of every day under the eye of God, if we sold every article in light of the judgment seat, if we did every act in light of the judgment seat, if we prayed every prayer in light of the judgment seat, if we gave all up, gave tithe or whatever of all of our possessions in light of the judgment seat, if we preachers preached every sermon with one eye on the damned of humanity and on the judgment seat, then we would have a Holy Ghost revival that would shake the earth and that in no time at all would liberate millions of precious souls. We have made Christianity so lukewarm and low shelf that we have to add adverbs and adjectives to it to help describe what type of Christianity it is. In other words, Christianity in and of itself is supposed to command a level of attention and focus that has with it adjectives that come just by virtue of your thought of it. But now we have to say radical Christianity. We have to say intense Christianity. We have to say turned up Christianity. We have to use some type of additive to describe a type of Christianity that all of those things are already nutritiously wrapped up in the tidbit of the word that God has given us when he imputed us with his righteousness. It's tough because many of us have uh, lukewarm lives. And in having a lukewarm life, that means we are double-minded. And many of us have lives where we have settled down and simmered down our commitment to Jesus Christ. And God is calling us to always, somebody say always, always, always be on fire for him. I'm just letting you know that that's supposed to be the norm. It's supposed to be normal to take God seriously. That's why the Bible says in uh, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 that, the, that, the, that, the, that, that uh, the fear of God is just the beginning of knowledge. In other words, to fear God means to stand in awe of his reality. In other words, my father in the ministry say to take God seriously. If anybody takes God seriously, it should be us as believers. 
That means in light of everything in our life, we are wrapping our minds around and intensely thinking about what is the mind of Christ having to do with every single situation. When I'm on my job, how can I take him seriously? Not be a jerk, but take him seriously. If I'm a boss, how do I take my bossing seriously? How do I take my schooling seriously? How do I take my parenting seriously? How do I take my singleness seriously? How do I take my marriage seriously? How do I take my finances seriously? How do I take my evangelism seriously? How do I take my shopping seriously? How do I take my, what I wear seriously? What in the, everything in our life must be folded into the batter of seriousness. And so when we look at the text and we look at the Lord, I kind of wish he would have saved Philadelphia as the seventh church. Because that would have, that would have sent us out on, on A, A. But ain't no A today. It is, but it ain't. It's sort of a sobering word for Christians. Because we constantly, because of our fragility and need for worldly acclamation, have to constantly be brought back to the reality that here ain't it. Because every now and then, life will so molest your mentality to make you think that earth is it. And when you get locked and loaded in the fact that earth is it, you've missed eternity. And so when we come here to this text, it's massive. It's helpful. And I believe Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, put this as the last seven church because he knew this would be the historic tendency of most Christians. And so we come to the church of Laodicea, and Jesus begins to do what he does. He loves us enough to put us on blast. Oh, ain't nobody say amen right there because they don't want to hear it. It's all right. It's all right. But you're going to hear it anyway if you stay in your seat and don't walk out. Amen. Got to preach it all. Somebody say preach it all. Yeah. Conquering lukewarmness, number one of two points. If you're going to conquer lukewarmness, number one, you must recognize that Jesus expects clear commitment out of his followers. He expects clear. Somebody say clear. Here he goes talking about himself again. Write to the angel of the church of Laodicea. He says, thus says the amen. Now, come on now, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, I told y'all he's a, he's a monster MC. Told you, man, Eminem and Jay ain't got nothing on them, man. They got wordplay. They got hypercatastasis. They got metaphors and similes, you know. Rakim ain't got nothing on them, you know. Kanye ain't got nothing on the MCisms of the Messiah. MC Jesus in the building. He starts roll calling who he is. Because the beautiful of him roll calling who he is is he's right about it. It's not fog to make you think something when he's not really what he is. He's telling you exactly who he is. Now, this is crazy. He says, he thus says the amen. Then he says, thus says again, letting you know he's God. He says, thus says the amen. In other words, the beginning. When Jesus is saying this is a divine title that's powerful, amen, when Jesus says amen, he's, it's an affirmation of God's truth. Okay, now that don't hit you. God doesn't need affirmation of his truth. But Jesus is the amen of God's truth. In other words, Jesus basically says, I cause whatever God the Father says to actually be. Oh, ain't nobody. You, you ain't get that. That means God 
is so beast that God the Father and God the Son alley-oop each other in the way they work together. It's so dope. Because what God, God the Father, God the Father will say, let there be light. When he says that, it's Jesus who goes into darkness and pulls light from out of nowhere. Ain't nobody going to talk back. When God said, let there be ground, it's Jesus, the word of God, who actually goes out and accomplishes what God wants to come. And all of a sudden, land appears. If he says, let there be, here comes water, let there be cattle. They, it, guess what? Yahweh is the architect and designer who designs it. Jesus Christ is the contractual master of whatever the Father speaks into existence, and he actually brings it to pass without any material. Oh, you don't know when to shout. In other words, Jesus is the only contractor that don't have to go to Home Depot or Lowe's. He's both the contractor and the creator. Help me today, God. And, and matter of fact, when God said, let you be saved, guess what he did? He came and took the old spirit out of you and put a brand spanking new spirit in you. Whatever God says, Jesus amens. That's why at the end of your prayer, you say, in Jesus' name. Why? Because when you say amen, he says, I'll do it. I love this. But not only is he the amen, he said the true and faithful witness. That's Jesus' swaggadocious way of saying, I don't care what nobody say. What does that mean? True and faithful witness means I tell the truth and I let the truth do what the truth do. I don't change the truth because people want me to say something different. We're going to, we're going to see that applied here. That means he's, he's faithful and he's going to be the true witness and his faithfulness is to God and it impacts man. But not only is the true and faithful witness, he's the originator of God's creation. This is just, he's just talking reckless. This, this is reckless. He's the originator of God's creation. This, this, this is a beautiful thing to see that Jesus Christ is the originator or the beginning to bring the past again. It's affirming the amenness of his power as the creator God. He says, thus says me. Amen. I'm the faithful and true witness, and boom, I create everything. Now, all of this, you know, makes you shout until you know why he's saying it. Because when Jesus starts telling you who he is, number one, it's probably because you don't know. Number two, because you don't remember. And number three, because you know, but you need to know now. There's knowing and there's no no. All right? Let me, just make an ex let me explain something. Your children, they know you're their parents, but then there's certain times where you need to help them to know no. <laughs> parents know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, and, 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 and guess what you do when, for them, to, they, you, them, hi mom, hi daddy, that's good. But when the government name gets fully called, that's when you know no. But look at what Jesus says. He says, I know your works. Remember what he said. He's been saying this to every church. And this is his intimate knowledge of where we are. I love that. That Jesus is intimately knowledgeable about where we are. Now what he begins to do is he's going to lay, lay this out in a powerful way. He says, I know your works, Laodicea that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish that you were cold or that you were hot. He says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out my mouth. Wow. And what's interesting here is most people, when, we've, when many of us have read this passage over the years, you've heard, I got, you, you neither hot nor cold. We usually think of hot being on fire for God and cold being uncommitted. In other words, Jesus says, I would rather you just say you're not committed to me or you're heavily committed to me. But that misunderstands what's going on in the text. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is the Laodiceans you, 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 uh, were, were, was a highfalutin people. So they, they, were, they were very, very wealthy and had become lukewarm in their faith because of their wealth and lack of suffering. And so because, because they didn't need anything, you'll see that in a second, Jesus says they became lukewarm. Now it points to the piping system. He's using their own cultural illustration to sort of exegete the state of their soul. They had a hot springs in the mountains of Laodicea in the Phrygian section of Laodicea. What would happen is, is they would de they develop this piping system to bring the hot spring waters into Laodicea. The challenge was, is when the water started coming, it was very, very hot. But by the time it traveled to Laodicea and they would take a drink, it would be lukewarm. In other words, they wanted it to be hot. And then they also liked cold water because cold water can be used, hot water can be used. But for them, lukewarm water had no type of use to them. So what they would do is when they would have lukewarm water, they would spit it out. Jesus says, yeah, you spit out your water, but when it comes to you reflecting that water by being lukewarm, I don't just spit you out, I vomit you out. Now, why would Jesus vomit them out? Just think of why anybody would vomit anything. You taste something you ain't like, you had an aversion to it, it may have gotten to your stomach, it made you queasy, you spit it out. Jesus says Christians who are noncommittal, he vomits them up. Why? The point of the illustration is cold water is useful, hot water is useful, you're not useful. That's tough. For us to now hear Jesus saying a hard word to us. In the state that you're in spiritually and functionally, you're not useful. He's not saying your whole cell not useful. He's just saying the state that you're in is useful. In other words, he's saying, I didn't buy anybody by dying on the cross for them to be useful, useless citizens of my kingdom. In other words, if I die... If I died on the cross for your sins, the reason why I died is to get you to be a useful member of my kingdom. It, it, don't, make no, it don't make me nothing mad when I take somebody out to eat or I take a family member out to eat and they eating some food. And then they waste the food. Especially if it's a, 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 a little something something. You know what I'm saying? I spent my little money. And you, you done messed over it and carrying on when you could have sent it back when it first came to the table if you didn't like it in the first place. And so I get mad because I'm spending my money on a person that doesn't appreciate what I'm doing for them and they're wasting what I'm investing in them. Jesus Christ feels the same way. He gets ticked. 
when his people don't take his investment through his death on their life seriously. And he's challenging the Laodiceans in this reality of the fact that they are functioning as useless believers who aren't supposed to function that way. But the Laodiceans, though, had a reputation of doing what was ever necessary for their own well-being. I have to explain this because you'll see it further in the text. As Jesus begins to say, he's sickened by them. See, what began to happen is we'll see in a second that the Laodiceans were wealthy. And wealth made them apathetic. Mm. Because when you don't need God, and you don't, or you think you don't need him, and you don't have checkpoints in your life to remind you that you need him, you will have a functional prayerless life of needlessness. Now, what I like about God is in my relationship with him, I don't know about your relationship with him, but he doesn't give me everything I want. Now, I hate it, but I like it. Okay, it's, it's sort of a, a, a it's not a love-hate relationship because I ain't gonna say I hate the Lord. But it's a, it's a relationship where I'm like, God, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to walk with you. Can you just open them windows and just kick some stuff out of glory for me? You understand what I'm saying? You know, so throw some of them things out here. I, I'll still serve you. But God knows that when we need and we have, intensity, we have intensity and need, but when we're in greed, we don't function in need. So some of us, God has booby-trapped our lives to never get whatever we want. Because he loves you enough to not let you have your way. Because if you got everything you wanted, family of God, most of us wouldn't be walking with God. So God keeps you in a constant state of intense need so that you can have an intense push towards his throne. That's why he says beautifully next in here, he says, which brings me to my second point. He says, Jesus expects his followers, I say, Jesus expects his followers to rest our lives on eternal values. This is dope. This is dope. Yeah, this is dope. Because in verse 17 it says, for I say, I mean, for you say, I'm rich, man. You understand? I have become wealthy and need nothing. He said, that's the type of talk they were doing. See, that's, that's why some of us ain't going to never be rich. I know the prophet told you that and lied to you that your season was coming and that it was right around the corner. Now, I would love to start a new service to go around the kingdom and dispatch people who get these lying promises from these false prophets to see if the season actually came to pass. Oh, ain't nobody gonna talk back on that part. But, 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 but what happens is, is we allow people to placate on our desire to blow up. And so what he says, he says, this is what you say. He says, he said, and guess what? You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What does that mean? Wretched points to the fact that they had a poor quality condition, perhaps inciting pity from the Lord. Not only that, that means that he lacked depth. Depth. God wants us to have depth. He doesn't want us to be a mile wide and an inch deep. God's desire for your life is you have so much depth that the way you make decisions is just great. 
We'll see in a second as we apply some of this on the positive end of the kingdom spectrum. But, 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 but his desire is that we have depth. Somebody say depth. In other words, there's more to you than meets the eye. It takes a conversation of hearing your story. It takes some time to walk through what God is doing in you and to watch you for a while to see that you more than a cute face, a good haircut, and some Tims. In other words, God wants people to know that there's more under the ship than on top of the ship. One of the things I like about um, um, boats is um, one time this boat was rocking back and forth. You know, I don't like none of that type of stuff because I'm scared of heights, and I don't like being out at sea where I can't see any land. And water, I can't see the bottom in. Okay? That's, that's my situation. <laughs> but the boat, but, you know, my wife and I, went, I had to speak on this crew. And, and, man, when you stand still, the boat just going like this. I, I, I just was like, I'm really not feeling. This a big boat. It shouldn't be shaking at all. In my mind, this should just be still. I can see when we was on the sailboat one time, of course, I had to get to the back because I got boat sick or whatever you call that sickness. Seasick, all right, there it is. <laughs> At least y'all listening. <laughs> One guy, people always ask the captain, when the waves come, I don't know if you've ever been on them jaws, where it's going, yeah, yeah, and you, and, you just, and you are understanding what the disciples went through on the Sea of Galilee. And the captain... Tells the guy, he says, man, look where you stand into the top. He says, okay. He said, just know that it's going to be hard for this ship to turn over. He said, why? Because the height of this ship is double to triple under it. Because the weight under it is heavy enough and has enough depth that when waves come and hit it and it shakes, it stays in place because it's held there by more underwater than it has on top of the water. I just want to ask you, uh, as a believer, when you walk with Christ and you grow in Christ, guess what? You're supposed to have more under the water than on top of the water. But if you, put, if you dress up everything on the outside but never get to the depth of what God wants to mine and strengthen and honor and glorify himself in on the inside, see, that's why a storm has come some of y'all way and you've gone through some stuff and the enemy has taken his greatest hit. But the reason why you haven't turned over is because God has made more depth on the inside of your life than on the outside of your life. We're not supposed to be pitiful. Not only that, I mean, next is pitiful. Pitiful means living in inferior, in inferior authority when Christ provides something more. Pitiful means living in inferior authority. The enemy running shopping your, your life. Poor. Poor means spiritual Spiritually poor or lacking in accessing the riches that are found in Christ. Blind here in the New Testament means unable to see the value and discern spiritual things. Even though Jesus said he came to give us sight. Naked, naked here is in, in the Bible means to be shamed or uncovered the most vulnerable places in a person's life. That's not what we're supposed to be, but look at where he wants us to be. Verse 18, I love it. He said, I advise you to do this. And when Jesus advised you to do something, guess what you should do? Do it. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. 
Now, how in the world is Jesus telling you to buy something when he already died on the cross for your sins? When he's saying buy, he means trade. Basically, the Laodiceans began to let culture, culture's likes and comments be their God. In other words, when you let culture's likes and comments be your God and you, everything you're trying to build, you build with no prophetic witness because you're scared to say anything to get in the way of your little come up. Jesus says, instead of, I'm not telling you go out and browbeat people, but he is saying, people should know that you're a believer. And in people knowing that you're a believer, he basically says, buy for me gold refined in the fire. What does that mean? It points to the reality of the fact, he says, put yourself in a position to suffer. I know ain't no amens on that part. Because America, we don't preach stuff like that. In other words, it doesn't mean seek suffering. It just means don't try to tether away from suffering by watering down who you are in Jesus. Because guess what? The reason why they weren't growing is because they weren't allowing themselves to go through any suffering because anytime anything looked like it was going to cause suffering in their life, they compromised it, listen, because they knew that they would be in a fiery, difficult circumstance. And so whatever they could do to avoid identifying with Christ, they stopped identifying with Christ and identifying with the culture. One of the things I'm afraid of in our generation is that we like being liked so much that we are missing out on the reality that God doesn't care about your natural liking and people liking you. You should be willing to lose it all for his glory. You should be willing to lose some relationships for his glory. You should be willing to lose some jobs for his glory. You should be willing to dumb down. Listen, some of you, there's some jobs you shouldn't take because you'll be so busy you won't be able to go to church. You won't be able to be in community. And you won't have no accountability because it's too much for your life and your life will be built around just working all the time. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's called kingdom economics. Kingdom economics means to take what looks like a loss on earth in order to invest what is, what is of eternal value in heaven. And you have to train yourself, Christian, to know that today is not your payday. It's not. And if you keep living your life like today is the payday, you'll get today and lose tomorrow. Jesus is telling them to buy from him. It's just like the pearl of great value in Matthew. It says, a great pearl, a guy was after pearls and he was going looking for pearls and he found one pearl of great value and he bought it. Meaning that he had looked all over the place for things of value. And when he finally got to this one pearl, he knew that he would never find any pearl like it again. So the pearl merchant took everything out of his savings, out of his retirement and everything and banked it on that one pearl because he knew that what he had needed to be invested fully in getting that pearl. Are you investing fully in the kingdom? Listen, you, don't, you can retire from SEPTA. 
You can retire from Temple. Being a teacher, you can retire from uh, uh, a Philadelphia school district. You can retire, but you can't retire from being a Christian. He wants us to be turned on for his glory forever. And that's why he says, he said, get white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. This is dope. And see, he's playing on words because he know they got gear because they're known for linen in Laodicea. He says, trade in that linen for the eternal linen that you're going to have walking with me. Then he goes from there. And he says, next, he says, get ointment, and ointment to spread, ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. And so now he's basically calling them to the beauty of what the Christian life is. And that means losing your life that you may gain it versus trying to gain your life and lose your life. And when we build this reality of kingdom economics, we look at kingdom investment more than we look at natural investment. Finally, after he says this, he encourages them, and he says something beautiful. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, that don't sound great, but it's the greatest thing you could ever hear. Because if you don't get none of these, you ain't his. Now, this is what Jesus says. He's like a good parent that's, that talks to their child after the beating. Okay, let me see if I can make it plain, because some of y'all ain't got beatings. Now, for those of us who got the ministry beat down in the home, you ever had this cry right here? That one. That means you got your behind tore up, right? And then your parents, your parents be trying to tell you, you better not make another sign. You go. <laughs> I hated that. How you going to beat me and then tell me shut up? Like, that don't even make sense. I'm going to make you holler and then make me holler and then tell me stop. It's just. But good parents, <clears throat> they bring you in close afterwards. Now, you remember why I beat you now? Understand why I tore your butt up? Now, that ain't going to happen. That's Jesus right here. Those who I love, I rebuke. And I discipline. That's him talking in that mellow voice. Saying, I, I know I just gave you a nice little whooping. But I'm letting you know I do this for a reason. And look at what he says in verse 20. He says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him or her and eat with him or her and he or she with me. What's interesting is most of us think he's talking to non-Christians, so we'll use this in evangelism, but he's actually talking to the church. He's telling the church, I built the church and you locked me out of it. Like Saul, who didn't know the Lord wasn't with him, the church was doing church and didn't know Jesus wasn't with him. And so Jesus asked for re-entry into what he created. And he promises, he promises that he'll sit and he'll eat with us. In other words, he's saying there won't be no beef. Verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. This is nuts. Okay. Do y'all understand what he just said? 
he's going to let you sit on his throne. Not like a little kitty with a kitty like cape on and it's too big for you and a crown. It's, you're going to sit on his throne just like he sat on his father's throne. In other words, for eternity, we will join the counsel of God. Even though he doesn't need us to judge angels, the Bible says you will judge angels. In other words, he's saying, why live a lukewarm life and live below your calling when I've called you to be kings and queens with me? We're called to reign with him, and he says, he who has an ear, let him listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, a warrior came back from battle, and as he came back from battle, and he was going to need his sword again, he knew that his sword um, was jagged because of fighting. And so what he ended up doing is he took his sword and put it in the heat. <laughs> and as he put his sword in the heat, it began to light up again. When it began to light up again, he took it out and he put it on the anvil and he began to take a hammer and he began to strike it. And light, it was like lightning was flashing off of it as it was being rehammered. And, 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 he would, and he would mow over the blade to get the blade to get sharpened. And he'd go back in again with the heat and he'd put it down and he'd work on it again and he'd put it back in the heat. And then finally he put it in the cold and then it was solidified as a sword ready for battle. That's what God wants to do with you. God wants to take you, and he wants to put you in fiery circumstances. But you can't misinterpret the fire for him not refining. Because what is refining? Refining is really taking a metal to break it down in order to get impurities out of it. And what happens is these bubbles come to the top, and the smelter, when he's smelting, he scoops off the stuff, and he scoops off the dross, and the only way he knows that it's been refined fully is he looks over it and he can clearly see his face. God is heating your life up to take you out of lukewarmness into being on fire for him and clearly decisive for him so that in his life, in your life rather, you can be seen as reflecting his face. Father, To fear you means to take you seriously. Maybe there's someone here that hasn't taken the plunge to meeting Christ as Savior and taking you seriously. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your confidence in Jesus Christ and said yes to him. Yes to the most important decision that you can make is trusting Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith in the fact that Christ became God's means through him pouring his anger out on Jesus instead of us so that he can take us from spiritual disconnection to connection through his death and resurrection by faith in what he's done. If you're here today and you would like to place your faith in Jesus Christ, hold your hand in the air. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Anyone here today that hasn't placed their confidence in Jesus. I see that hand. Just hold that up. Hold that up. I see that other hand. I see that other hand. I see that other hand. Anybody else? This says, I want to place my confidence in Christ. 
I want to place my faith in him. Anybody else, it's the best decision you can make. The best decision that you can make is to put your faith in Jesus Christ and say yes to Jesus. And say yes to Jesus. I see you coming. There's another one. Come on. Yeah. 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 Anyone else? Anyone else saying, I want to say yes to Christ today. Yes. That I know I'm a sinner like all of us. This is not us putting you on blast. The gospel puts all of us on blast. But it not only puts us all on blast, it takes us from us being actually put on blast to Christ being put on blast on our behalf. And that's why he died on the cross for our sin and was raised from the dead. You put confidence in that for your life to be reconnected to God, it's a done deal. Anybody else? Anyone else want to say yes to Jesus Christ? Hold your hand up real high today. Is there another one today? Is there another one? Well, Father, I thank you for these three that have made a profession of faith today. And God, I pray for your mercy on their life that they would go by faith, by clear, a clear understanding of what you've done for them to take enough of spiritual death to spiritual life and spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity once they become a believer. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen. You should shout like you're crazy. Some folk have come to Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Every head bow, every eye closed real quick. I want to pray for you. You know we got to pray. If you know your, your faith has been turned down, come forward. I want to pray for you. If you know you've turned down, you become lukewarm, you become borderline in your functionality and your commitment to Jesus, and you need God to refire up the furnace of your soul, come forward so we can pray. If that's you today, anyone today. I see you coming from the balcony. I see you coming from the back, brother. Thank you. I see you coming from the back. I see you coming from the balcony to my left. Y'all come on down. We'll wait for you. Anybody else? Says, I want God to refine me in that fire. To restore me to who he wants me to be in him. Anyone else? I see y'all coming. We'll wait on you. We'll wait on you. Amen. 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 Yeah. I see you coming, brother. Amen. I see you coming, ladies. Thank y'all for all coming. Yeah. This is not to put anybody on blast. Or, uh, this is all out of love. God is, God is such a gracious God. Y'all coming as close as y'all can. You can file behind this group right here. Y'all can file behind them. Let's come down so we can come in as close as possible. Anyone else? I see you, sis, popping up. If you're struggling, you're supposed to come. Just know that. If you're wrestling, like maybe should I know, that means you should come. If you're not struggling, you stay in your seat. But, um, yeah, that's you. Come on forward. We love to pray for you. It's a great opportunity to be relit. I see you, sis. Thank you. I see you, bro. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Anyone else? Anyone else? I see you, sis. Thank you. Anyone else that says, yeah, I want to be relit. I want God to relight me. I see you coming from the balcony. We're going to wait for you. I see you just popped up, sis. I see you. Anyone else? It says, yes, I want God to relight me. I know I've turned down. Maybe you're here today. I see you, sis. Maybe you, you, you may have even um, done something different. You may even in that have um, on your job made some compromises. And you, it's time for you to show them that you're a believer. And you're like, there's some decisions I can't make. There's some things that I can't do because I walk with Jesus Christ. Anybody else wants to come forward? 
we'd love to talk to you. Anybody else want to read? I see you popped up. I see y'all two popped up. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Anyone else? Anyone else that says, yes, I want to, I want to, I want to restart as God is calling the Laodicean church to an opportunity to rededicate themselves to the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. A rededication is always an option. That's what 1 John is written for. That's what Corinthians is written for, for God to give his people opportunity. We're going to wait on you. I see you coming, sis. I see you coming. I see you coming. Yeah. Yeah, anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? I see you coming, sis. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you time. I see you coming. Anyone else? Well, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to pray for believers. Lord, help them to know it is a grace to know that something's off base. Um, That's a, like, that's a privilege. (laughs) It's a privilege to know and be empowered to respond. And God, I pray that you would touch your people today and reinvigorate their hearts towards you. I pray that you would relight the furnace of their souls. Lord God, and I pray, Lord God, that they would find themselves again, a kindling afresh their faith in what you've done for them, Lord God, and giving them a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of focus, a renewed sense of their life, a renewed sense of connection, a renewed sense of drawing near, Lord. You said if we draw, drew near to you, you would draw near to us. God, I pray that they would take full advantage of it. And I'm praying that as they go berserk, coming back towards you, Lord God, will you meet them in that as you have promised? Lord God, and I pray based on John 15 that you would prune them that they may bear more fruit. And you said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Lord God, do your thing. Lord God, and I pray that they would not live for the likes of earth, but they would live for the amen and the well done of heaven. God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that earth won't be enough for them. Yes, they'll use it because you created it and placed them here, but help them to know, Lord God, that they're seated with you in heavenly places and are supposed to reflect it in earthly places, Lord God. And I pray that you would help the hope that will come when we reign with you. That is, that is the most unbelievable thing that I could ever think that you would take people and not just it it would have been enough for you to just bring us to heaven and earth the new heavens and the new earth and just be with you but but you're upgrading it by saying I give you the chance to walk with me in eternity and I give you opportunity to reign with me on my throne and to rule with me and so Lord God I pray that you would impute the glorious view of your identity our identity in you to your people so that they would know and see that you're enough and you're more than enough. God, we honor you and we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, 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 amen. You may be seated. Let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Communion is a time to celebrate what Christ has done for us. What has he done for us? He's He put it all on the line by dying on the cross for our sins. 
And so communion is a way to constantly be reminded of that. We do it every week, um, not out of a point of legalism or anything, but we do it every week because we believe that um, it's a great culmination of us as we come together. And he talks about as often as you do it, do it uh, in remembrance of me. And we want to do it as often as possible. So let our men come. If you're not a believer, this is just a symbol of Christ's body and blood. So please respect it by letting it pass. It's only for those who place their confidence in Jesus. If you place your confidence in Jesus Christ and you feel like you could take it in a worthy manner, how do you take it worthy? We always say, understand that you're not worthy and that Christ makes you worthy, therefore you're worthy. So as these come around and we take of the blood and the bread of life and partake in remembrance of him, of his, the fact that he's came and he's coming again, let us sing together and honor our Lord who is the living word. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.